What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. If you will place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand, and please repeat after me, I do solemnly swear. We, the jury, in the event entitled action, find the defendant guilty of the crime. It makes no sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. We all took the same oath of office. We are all bound by that common commitment to support and defend the Constitution, to bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and to faithfully discharge the duties of our office. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? From Tenderfoot TV and iHeartRadio, this is Sworn. I'm your host, Philip Holloway. DNA kind of changed everything. It was the game changer because for the first time in history, we had really definitive proof of innocence. Although I'm going to say the second time in history, I I always tell my students, DNA cases aren't the best cases. The best cases are murder cases where the victim shows up alive later on. And there's, there's been 10 of those documented in the history of the United States. But short of the victim showing up alive and DNA cases, it gets very difficult to win these cases. But here's what I've seen happen over the last 20 years, is DNA opened the door to make believers out of judges that, hey, innocent people are falling through the cracks. Let's face it, exoneration cases in the United States aren't exactly commonplace. According to the United States Department of Justice, there were just under one and a half million people in prison by the end of 2018. But as of May 2020, there have only been 
2,600 exonerations, and a lot of those exonerations have happened very recently. This is because of things like advancement in DNA and other technology. DNA has been a very helpful tool in providing evidence of innocence for wrongly incarcerated people. But as the California Innocence Project director Justin Brooks said at the beginning, DNA has done more than simply providing evidence. It's opened the door to the idea that people are, in fact, in jail for crimes that they did not commit. Judges' eyes are now more open. Judges are now more willing to consider that wrongful evidence is real and to hear wrongful conviction cases, even if there is not DNA evidence to clear them. Here's Amelia Maxfield, forensic science specialist for the Pennsylvania Innocence Project. Before there was DNA evidence, no one even believed that the system got it wrong or could get it wrong. So it's definitely been the catalyst for many exonerations and for kind of the innocence movement as a whole. If there's any way for us to go back and test evidence that was found at the crime scene to try to identify the true perpetrator, we'll do that. That's kind of the easiest or most straightforward way to get back into court. If you have new evidence of an alternate perpetrator from a DNA analysis, Even though courts today are more likely than ever before to hear claims of actual innocence, there are still a lot of roadblocks along the way, especially in the way that evidence is tested and stored when that evidence might contain DNA. There's the first hurdle of even getting access to the evidence. Evidence is kept in the custody of the state. It may or may not have been stored properly. It may or may not have been retained at all there was a widespread evidence destruction order issued in the city of Philadelphia 20 years ago because there was like a maggot infestation of evidence. Years worth of potentially exculpatory DNA evidence was just destroyed because it wasn't properly stored. We've had some counties where we've gone to look for evidence. It was just stored in the courthouse basement and then there was a flood and then the evidence is gone. And then there's a second hurdle of getting access to testing. You have to get an order from the court and different states have different standards in order to be eligible for DNA testing. A reasonable DA who has a post-conviction case from the 80s or 90s where DNA testing was never done and the evidence still exists, many of them will take the tact that we think they should, which is, you know, we have the evidence, why not just test it? And it'll either confirm that the conviction was right or it'll show that the conviction was wrong and then we'll go from there. It's just fair and just to test the evidence. Then you have the cost barrier. So DNA testing is extremely expensive. Even simple DNA testing runs you in the multiple thousands of dollars. Most states have statutes written in such a way that the state will pay for DNA testing, either if you meet a certain higher legal standard or if you agree for the testing to be done at the state's lab. We just don't trust some of the state labs or they don't have the capacity to do the testing that we want. They don't have the technology we need. We're often looking for small amounts of touch DNA found on specific items and they don't have the ability to do that type of testing getting the evidence in front of the court and having them understand what it means and agree that it is exculpatory is kind of the final hurdle. It's amazing how many times when you have a rape and murder case and you finally test the DNA and it exonerates your client, it's not his DNA, it's someone else's DNA, then all of a sudden for the first time, the state comes back with the theory that 
there was a second person there that your client was still involved in the murder, but a second person also raped the victim. And that's never been a theory before. Amelia says they haven't actually had that many successful DNA exonerations. In fact, it's been the minority of the Pennsylvania Innocence Project's exoneration cases. Most of our clients have been exonerated based on new evidence in the form of new witnesses coming forward or witnesses recanting their testimony or, you know, finding something in the homicide file or ineffective assistance of trial counsel. We also try to get new opinions based on modern science in cases where a forensic science was used that may be outdated. If we can get an analyst who's been properly trained to look at a discipline and tell us whether what was done was valid or not. There's something like 1,500 to 2,000 exonerations total, and only 300 of those involved DNA. There was a, a whole bunch of people in Texas whose convictions were overturned because there was misconduct by a specific officer involved in their case. So those are all exonerations, but they're not DNA exonerations. A friend of mine, Michelle Teagle, is a criminal lawyer who works in Texas. Michelle has lots of experience working in both small towns and big cities, and I asked her about some of the issues that she sees in her post-conviction practice. You would think it's just, oh, well, we know this is now faulty science, so we're just going to get him out. But there's so much more to it than that, and our systems are procedural beasts. Oftentimes, lawyers have to really put their heads together and then often really try and convince prosecutors to work with them in trying to find a way to remedy and fix what has happened, meaning, you know, that someone's been wrongfully convicted on faulty science. But Michelle says that even if you do get a prosecutor to play ball, there are still a lot of challenges. In Texas, there are certain timelines that you have. And then there are, of course, different issues that you can file what's called a writ to basically get your case back before the trial court or back before one of the higher courts in that jurisdiction based on new evidence or new science. But then there are all these procedural, what I would call hurdles. You have to get a certain standard of evidence or a certain type of testimony or a certain type of testing. And then it has to be presented to the right, you know, decision maker, whatever court that may be in that jurisdiction. And then those decisions are never moved and usually made quickly. There's often tons of briefing and paperwork that comes behind that to convince whoever the decision maker is that this is accurate. And you have to get experts often to back that up. Experts that normally would not be cheap, but that you're often begging to work for free to try to help free someone who was convicted on faulty science. And it's it's kind of begging all the way down the line is, is what post-conviction lawyers have to do. I mean, I commend them for it because it is often thankless work and they spend years on it. I was involved in a capital murder case years ago. A man named Ed Graff, who was originally convicted and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the highest criminal appellate court in Texas, reversed his conviction, but they remanded it. And what that means is, is that they just sent it back to the trial court. They didn't say he was innocent. They did not exonerate him, but they said the science was bad, but we're gonna send this case back to either be resolved by the DA's office through a plea bargain or tried to a jury. 
and we ultimately tried that case to a jury with all new science, different experts. And, you know, there were a lot of witnesses, of course, from a 1980 capital murder case that were no longer alive. And that became a tricky thing. What we wanted them to do, what we would have rather them done in that case was just to exonerate our client. But they instead reversed the conviction and said, we're not actually going to call him actually innocent. We're going to say that there was a flaw in this science and a problem, and we know that now. And so we're going to send the rest back to be heard by a jury or decided by the DA. Michelle says the jury deliberated for about two whole days. When a jury's out a while, you start, especially as a defense lawyer, thinking somebody in there is fighting for my client. They're not just willing to, you know, say guilty and let's send him away for life. We hadn't really had many conversations or plea bargain negotiations because we we believed our client was innocent. During the course of the jury being out for two days, we started having some of those conversations. And, and as a criminal defense lawyer, anytime an offer is communicated, whether you want your client to take it or not, you have to communicate it. That's not something that's negotiable or that we have discretion on. We also started looking at the parole laws because this was a man who'd already served over 20 years in a Texas prison for the conviction that had been obtained in the 1980s. We determined that if he pled guilty to anything less than a life sentence, based on old parole laws, he would immediately be released, meaning the DA, the judge, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, they would have no control. It was a mandatory release on anything less than a life sentence because of the time he had already served. He ended up taking a plea bargain offer of less than a life sentence. He pled guilty while the jury was still out, so we didn't get a verdict. The DA's office, actually, and this ended up being kind of a little bit of a snafu, but the DA's office in McLennan County did not know about that parole law and immediately went to the media and said that they would contest him ever being released and he wouldn't get out on parole, and we kind of just left it at that. Eventually, the media and everyone caught on to it. And and what I said was, and I got some, you know, it wasn't a popular thing to say, but I stand by it, is my job is to explain the law to my client. The DA's job is to know the law himself or herself. It's not my job to explain it to them. And unfortunately, they didn't know the law in that situation. And so my client is out now. And I'm glad for that because I think he should be personally. But that was kind of a, I guess you could say, a technical procedural win for that man. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. I think there's this misconception from television shows that make the news that DNA is some sort of a magic bullet for the criminal justice system. DNA has been and continues to be a fantastic tool. It's used to get to the bottom of the question of who committed a crime. But there are many cases or situations where DNA evidence might not be available or even applicable. For the rest of the episode, we're going to play for you parts of the interviews with the four exonerees we spoke to about their exoneration processes and their release from prison. Although these are four unique individual cases, they are all very difficult experiences, and there are some commonalities across the board, including the amount of time and effort that it took to prove their innocence, the challenges they faced in rejoining society, and the continued effects of their time in prison. Here's William Dillon, the exoneree we spoke with in the episode on Scent Dogs. When I got out, I was despaired with the fact that they hadn't caught who actually committed the crime. And that's what really bothered me more than anything. Some people saying, oh, you're free now, you're great. And then some people look at, well, this guy could be a massive mass killer and all that. It was bothering me internally in my heart. And when they finally came through and got the DNA on this guy and then a confession to this guy, and I ended up getting compensated and everything, I felt a lot better. Through the process, I was able to heal. I feel that that's helped me a lot in the journey forward. You may recall that William was arrested for a murder when he offered to help with the police investigation. 
after being subject to intense interrogation, irresponsible use of a forensic dog, and faulty eyewitness testimony, William served 27 years of a life sentence for a crime he did not commit. When I was indicted for murder, there was an anonymous phone call by a woman that said, you have the wrong person, that these two guys were the ones involved in the crime. At that same time, the chief investigator was the one that came to get me from the car. He just wrote it down in the file and didn't look into it. Well, it ended up being 30 years later that those two guys were the ones that were involved in the crime, as well as two other juveniles. They did DNA on the shirt that uh, I guess the killer left in the truck of the man that was supposed to identify me that night, which my lawyer was going to have me try on at the trial. It's a good thing I didn't. The one whose DNA they got on the shirt, he denied any involvement. He was in Chicago. DNA was taken 30 years later for domestic violence. He was 17 at the time of the murder. The second guy had been living on the streets and he confessed that four of them had committed the crime. And even then the police still tried to put me in their group saying, wasn't Dylan there, wasn't he involved? And the guy that when living on the street says, no, he was not involved at all. My parents never believed I was actually innocent of the crime. People ask me, do you forgive them? Of course I do. When you're manipulated by a power and a justice system that is supposed to be the last of the line, is supposed to be the true sense of justice, the true sense of what's going on, at least as close as we can get it. And you know, as an individual of being the one being attacked, and you know that witnesses in your case have been manipulated by people that are using this power and authority. I can forgive anybody that has been manipulated. I can't forgive those that did the manipulating. I think it really didn't matter to them about justice. I keep saying all the time that, you know, maybe it was one or two, but in the basic senses of it is, it's all of them. They were all down with the count. Probably one or two that started the ball rolling and then everybody just followed on in. Could have been somebody that just trying to shine up the stars and get another conviction down the road or another guy gone down the road, who cares? My life didn't matter to them, period. They destroyed my life completely. They really did. They just didn't know it would come back to bite him. William says that when the day of his exoneration finally came, he felt at least some sense of peace. I can't even begin to tell you that I felt like I was being carried down those steps. It was such an amazing feeling. It was gratifying more than you know. The sense of being found innocent or known to be innocent or just to be released from the hell that I had been in. It was just a very, very happy thing, but at the same time, there was huge hurdles to overcome. Technology had completely changed. People had phones in their pockets, computers. When I went to prison, the phones were on the wall and NASA had the computers. Everything was just extremely fast. Information was everywhere. It was a hurdle, but at the same time, I was figured it was owed to me, so I just dove into it as much as I could, and I just took a hold of it and learned as much as I could, as fast as I could, information-wise, and it's not that complicated. You have to really get in and want to get it. I think the biggest hurdle for me was shopping with so many selections. It's perplexing. I would go look for a bar of soap, go in there, and there'd be so many choices, I'd have to walk out because i just get this overwhelming feeling and have to leave. As simple as that sounds, that, that was probably the biggest dilemma that I had. The reason why I came on here today is I want to let your listeners know that what you see on TV is not the real thing. 
That is not the criminal justice system. Those are actors acting. The real criminal justice system is a horrific place. And it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. You will end up getting turned upside down. It's like I tell everybody all the time. One minute I was a passenger in a vehicle. The next minute I'm on a freeway fast ride to prison with a life sentence. And it can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. This is not to foresay that we don't need the police and the justice system. I've been in those places where these people in these places are absolute maniacs. We need the police, but the justice system itself needs to be corrected. There needs to be a secondary overlook of cases. And I understand it's costly and it does this in there, but the problem is that these people were allowed to push this wagon without having any factual evidence to it. Does it prove this? Does it prove that? It's hard to say, but my point is, with some oversight, some of this will be slowed down. Here's the perspective of Bill Richards. A few episodes ago, we heard the story of how he was wrongfully incarcerated for the murder of his wife and served 23 years in prison. The California Innocence Project was the best thing for me. I was on a level four yard at Centinella Prison. It's a hardcore yard. And the guy I was working with, I was talking to him about it, and he was innocent. He gave me the address for the Innocence Project, which had just opened up at that time. So I wrote them a letter, and they sent me back a questionnaire, and I sent them a bunch of the information that I had that I'd written myself, like about 60 pages of documentation of perjury and stuff by the police. So they came down as students and interviewed me. And, you know, they did the investigation and they were instrumental in picking up the case because, you know, they get a couple thousand cases a year, people asking for help. Still took a couple of years for them to actually sign on to represent me because they had to investigate. You know, they need to know you're really innocent. And is there anything to work with? The Innocence Project probably spent 16 years working on my case to get me out. You know, I stay in touch with other people. There's a woman whose husband is in, in prison in Missouri. Her husband is represented by the, the Missouri Innocence Project. And she's always trying to raise money and get a private lawyer. And I told her, you couldn't possibly pay a private lawyer to do what the projects do. This is what they do. It's what they know how to do. Get fundraisers. I don't even want to consider how much money just in expenses it costs to get me out of prison. You could never do that with a private attorney unless you're a stinking rich. Bill recalled all the evidence that the California Innocence Project found, which suggested he was, in fact, innocent. I'm trying to think. It was DNA on the murder weapon. It was in exactly the places where their experts said the killer's DNA would be. There were considerable other things. There was also planted evidence. And there was a point after being in, geez almost 20 years, when that technicality came into play, a court had already ruled that the evidence pointed unerringly to innocence, and he didn't have half the evidence we have now. And they used technicality in the higher court to just ignore it and say, well, we're not going to look at that. At that point, I thought I lost. That's the first time I gave up. When the California Innocence Project was working on William's case, they encountered a technicality in case law that would not let them submit new expert testimony. They fought that technicality, and it has since been removed by the California legislature. Technicality was that expert witnesses could not recant their testimony, or new expert witnesses cannot be considered because their testimony is only an opinion. But that's what the jury hears. I don't care if it's DNA, whatever it is, an expert testifies to it. 
it was such a bad thing that they've done this to so many other people. And I think my case stood out because I'd already had a ruling of innocence that the legislature introduced a bill to change the law to say, this is totally ridiculous. You've got evidence of innocence and you can't use it. I think there's only 14 people in the whole legislature that didn't vote for it. So it was very well received. And when that came, we went back to court and I got out on the evidence unanimously in the California Supreme Court. But that took another seven years. It's like being dropped on an alien planet because nothing is the same. And I was only in 23 years. And I look at these guys get out after 40. It's a completely different world, technology. That's why I say I'm catching up on computers, but I'm, I'm way behind on them. And they're smarter than I am, <laughs> you know, so. And, and I think they fight me half the time. Society is different. People are different. Money isn't even the same. Not to mention everything costs three to four times what it did before. The line of work I did, there's almost none of it around anymore. And they're surely not hiring a guy that's almost 70 years old to do it. I think it would be easier to find something that wasn't changed because everything changes. And of course, I'm not a young man anymore. And that doesn't help, you know. Uh, my mind, I'm still a young man. Because for some reason, your mind, when you go through this, doesn't change. And I've talked to other exonerees. They still picture themselves. I still picture myself as 40. I look in the mirror, it's like, oh my God, who's that? I drive down the street I used to live on and I don't recognize it because the trees are so big. Young trees had been planted, just little, almost saplings. Now I go by there, they're two feet in diameter and there's a canopy over the road. To me, this was overnight. To me, this was in 1993, I was this guy here and this is the life. And now you drop me out here in 2016 and everything has changed. And I haven't been there to change with it, you know, because that's it. When you're inside, you don't change with the world. You're isolated away from it. Bill is now involved in a civil lawsuit against the police officers who went after him. He could not talk about that case very much since it is ongoing litigation. But he and his legal team say that they have found proof that evidence was planted that resulted in his conviction. One of the attorneys, she's looked through the records and found, wait a minute, this evidence turned up 10 days after the autopsy. So that is a major part of where we're going after them today is we have solid evidence that they planted evidence to incriminate me. I'm hoping we get some sort of settlement. I don't have any family at my age. I mean, I don't need a family, unfortunately. But uh, I do have a living trust if the cancer gets to me before the civil action is done, all the money will go to St. Jude's, Wounded Warrior Project, Child Refuge, Innocence Projects. See if I can't do some good for somebody else for what they did to me. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Since I've been out, I've been married twice. I guess you could say I'm being a true American person nowadays. (laughs) Calvin Johnson was the first DNA exoneree from the state of Georgia back in 1999. When we heard about his case a few episodes ago, he was convicted by an all-white jury using inconclusive blood and faulty forensic hair evidence. At the same time, he was declared not guilty on a similar case by a diverse jury because there was overwhelming proof of innocence. He was finally exonerated after the evidence in the first case was sent to a lab for DNA testing. He's been out of prison for 20 years now, but he's faced major setbacks once they set him free. I mean, when you get exonerated, you come out with nothing. You don't get the little $25 the state of Georgia might give you. You don't get clothes that they might give you. Can't get into any of the programs that they may have. They just toss you out. You're like a baby and you need help. If you were in prison and you were a diabetic, now guess what? You don't have any medical benefits. I had a hard time getting a driver license because I didn't have a car, so I had a rental car. And I got there, I took the test. I got in the rental car to do the driver test. And they walk out to me and they tell me, say, hey, you can't take the test in a rental car. I get out the car and I walk to the car behind me to a complete stranger. I said, hey, excuse me, sir. I said, they won't let me take the test in my car because it's a rental car. I said, can I use your car? <laughs> and he said, yeah. So I asked him, I said, can I have this a couple of minutes to get familiar? Because I hadn't been out of prison but two, two weeks. I took the test and I passed. That's an obstacle. The other obstacle is little simple stuff. You go to the gas station. Guess what? It's self-serve. When I went to prison, people would come out and they would pump your gas and wash your windows. We didn't have self-serve, so I'm standing there at the pump, looking around, hoping nobody's staring at me. Don't I didn't know what to do. I was embarrassed to ask anybody. I went to get my own apartment, 
He said, Mr. Johnson, you don't have bad credit. You just don't have any credit. They want to try, try to charge me like triple the deposit or something. So I got upset. I remember going and getting all these newspaper articles where they had me getting out of prison and going back to that office. I laid these articles across the desk and said, now look, this is why I don't have any credit. I've been locked up for 16 years. I've been punished for a crime I didn't commit. Now I'm out here in this world. And you're trying to punish me even more. And it's not fair. And so guess what? They went ahead and they rented me the apartment under the normal amount of deposit people normally pay. But these are the challenges. I do have a job that I've been at for the last 20 years, which is really fortunate. I've been working with MARTA, which is Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority. Feel like a big kid sometimes, you know, with, with a giant train set. <laughs> but I but I love it. Can retire now, but I'm still hanging around. I'm, I'm pretty healthy, I feel good, so why retire? Now that I'm working and I'm actually getting a paycheck, I mean like, wow, hey, it's great. Finally, we're going to hear from Joe Diaz, another exoneree we spoke to earlier this season. Joe has been very involved in the work of restorative justice and emotional healing since he left prison, not only for himself, but for others who have been wronged by the criminal justice system. Almost on a weekly basis, there's another man or woman who has been falsely accused, who's getting out from, through one way or another. And this wasn't so common before DNA. As a matter of fact, I sat in the same prison for almost six years with a man who was also innocent. And I didn't know he was innocent. He didn't know I was innocent. Until we saw each other. 2017, we're at the Innocence Conference and we're looking at each other. Damn, you were innocent too. And for all my brothers and sisters that are sitting in some sort of confinement anywhere, not only in the nation, but throughout the globe, all I can say to you is never give up. Always continue to fight. Never, never give up. Joe says that after finishing his time, he was determined to clear his name. So once I get out, I remember I had been told by the ACLU, go to the public defender's office. I went to the public defender's office. They told me the same thing again. Can't help you. Go back to your trial attorney. Finally, I said, well, I don't have a choice. I have to go to the devil who convicted me. I went back to the district attorney, called him and told him, listen, I am out now. Assured you that I did not commit this crime. And now that you guys had DNA tests, I want to come give you my blood. I want you to test so you can see that I did not commit it. You don't have to trust my side of the story because I wasn't there and you weren't there. So I'll tell you what, why don't you let science prove it for you? I show up at the DA's office. He has an investigator show up. And the first question out of the investigator's mouth is, well, what do you hope to accomplish with this? I assured him, listen, the only thing I want to do is clear my name. There's no way in the world you guys are going to be able to return my years to me. Finally, he returned my call one day and told me, listen, the DA's office paid for this DNA test and it's inconclusive. And that's it. Nothing else we can do. My wife and I were always sitting around brainstorming, throwing ideas around. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? My wife says, well, what kind of other evidence was there? And that's when it dawned on me. There was a slipper. When the guy ran off, he lost one of his slippers. I said, son of a gun. When my appeals had exhausted, they destroyed all the evidence. So that slipper was no longer there. Somehow or another, they have to preserve evidence because in this case, I was out of evidence to preserve. 
but Joe held out and continued fighting. Finally, after 10 long years, he got his exoneration. Thankfully, they had so many former retired San Jose PD investigators who were able to talk and realize, oh, wait a minute, we had put together a task force to try to find that guy. We never did. You mean somebody actually sat in prison for those crimes? The local district attorney recognized what had gone wrong in Joe's case, so he started to use Joe's case to train other prosecutors and police departments on how to improve their investigative processes. I'm in awe of this district attorney and the positive changes that that he's working towards. That district attorney's office is night and day from what it was way back when I was wrongfully convicted. The general public isn't aware. They see people on TV, oh, this person just got out, this person got tens of millions of dollars. That is a very small minority that gets those millions of dollars. And I can assure you right now, I don't care how many tens of millions of dollars a lot of these exonerees receive from the state, from the county, and the majority of them were able to get that much are the ones who are able to prove prosecutorial misconduct, which is extremely, extremely difficult to prove. Those few men and women who get that money are, are walking zombies, a lot of them. You may see them on a TV show. You may interview them on a podcast. Do not look at the exterior facade, because I've had people tell me, well, you look okay, you speak well, you must be okay. I said, don't you ever, ever read a book by its cover, because you don't know what PTSD I have to endure and live with for the rest of my life. On top of dealing with PTSD, Joe has also had struggles adapting to civilian life. The first thing was even trying to get a job. Because I wasn't exonerated directly from prison, I had to come out and do three years of parole. For three years, I was so paranoid. I was so concerned that I would be framed again by these cops. So everywhere I went, every step I took, I kept a journal. Talk about paranoia. Talk about being super hyper vigilant. I couldn't even shop in the stores, you know, without these people getting too close to me with a shopping cart, touching me with a shopping cart, like turn around, ready to kill people. What the hell are you doing so close to me? Add to that, they put me up on that sex offender registry. Think about my children not being able to play with kids in the neighborhood. Think about some kids riding their bikes too close to me and their parents or grandparents running up to them. Come on, come on, come on, and taking them home because they're afraid. They think that I'm some sort of a monster. The opportunity cost that I lost of earning an education, of earning a living, of being able to contribute to social security. Fortunately, took a lot of weekend and night courses and I was able to get into into corporate America and earn a better living. There's not a day that goes by that this doesn't affect me in one way or another. I don't have the capacity to concentrate like I used to. I don't have the capacity to exercise the emotional intelligence that I used to or that I could have been able to. I work on it on a daily basis. Joe says he eventually found people to talk about his situation, including Jennifer Thompson. Jennifer was once attacked and identified the wrong person out of a lineup. She later fixed that misidentification and she started her own foundation called Healing Justice for people who were wrongfully incarcerated. The circles that she holds revolve around restorative justice. 
And believe me, I've spent, I don't know how much money on therapists, but it wasn't until I sat in a restorative justice circle and I saw the magic in it because I could now sit in the circle, in the fire, as they call it, with other exonerees who have been through what I've been through. And we sat there and we shed tears for a whole weekend. I walked away a million pounds lighter. When an exoneree is exonerated, people think, well, I, didn't, I don't know that individual. There's nothing that I can do for that person. Of course you can. We all have some sort of gift that we were born with, that we can share with another human being. We all have some kind of influence. Whether you can give a person a coat, a pair of shoes, an opportunity of a job, mentoring. You know, you may be retired. You may not have the financial means to give a person anything. You can mentor the person. Believe me, I don't know of any man or woman stepping out of prison who is going to turn down a hand from anybody. If you can ever serve as a bridge, just to even refer that person to somebody else, if you don't have the means or the influence, do so because you never know what a little act of kindness can do for another individual. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, exonerations are extremely rare. These men are incredibly unfortunate to have been put into these situations in the first place. They unfairly lost so many years of their lives, but in at least one way, they are lucky that lawyers and innocence projects and conviction integrity units were eventually able to look at their cases, consider evidence of their actual innocence, and take some action. So many cases in the United States do not have that type of evidence or support. Criminal cases often boil down to one person's word against another. As they say, you can't prove a negative. It's so much harder to find evidence that something did not happen than it is to find evidence that something did happen. As William Dillon mentioned, he did not have an alibi for the day of the murder because he wasn't doing anything really remarkable. The day that William did not commit the murder, he did not know that he would be needing to keep track of where he was and what he was doing. There is a reason that innocent until proven guilty is a basic tenet of the United States criminal justice system. The right to make the state prove someone's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt is a foundational principle of our system of justice. However, the way our system is set up is that people simply watching the news and people who eventually become jurors simply assume that someone is guilty merely because they are arrested. In other words, the system is supposed to operate on a innocent until proven guilty basis, but in reality, it works just the other way. People generally consider that someone is guilty unless they can somehow prove themselves to be innocent. The system gravitates towards finality, and appellate courts can be hesitant to reverse a conviction even when errors have occurred at trial. It's fair to say that once a jury has found someone guilty, it is extremely difficult to undo that decision through the traditional appellate process or through an exoneration. If you have a message for these exonerees, or like Joe said, anyone still incarcerated around the globe, give us a call at 404 410-0441. Next time on Sworn. I think a lot of people don't think about this, but I do a lot of work with prison inmates. When you have a mandatory minimum where there's no parole and you take away hope 
from a prison inmate of getting out, you create a very, very scary prison system. If you sentence people to 25 years to life without parole, they are going to go into prison and commit more crimes because they're never going to get out. And they have no hope of ever getting out. And they know they're never going to get out. What are you going to do to them? Sworn is a production of Tenderfoot TV and iHeartRadio. Our lead producer is Christina Dana. Executive producers are Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright for Tenderfoot TV, Matt Frederick and Alex Williams for iHeartRadio, and myself, Philip Holloway. Additional production by Trevor Young, Mason Lindsay, Mike Rooney, Jamie Albright, and Hallie Beadall. Original music and sound design by Makeup and Vanity Set. Our theme song is Blood in the Water by Layup. Show art and design is by Trevor Eiler. Editing by Christina Dana. Mixing and mastering by Mike Rooney and Cooper Skinner. Special thanks to the team at iHeartRadio. From UTA, Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer. Ryan Nord and Matthew Papa from The Nord Group. Beck Media and Marketing and Station 16. I'd also like to extend a very personal and special thanks to all of our contributors and guests who have helped to make all of these episodes possible. You can find Sworn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sworn Podcast. And follow me, your host, Philip Holloway, on Twitter at PhilHollowayESQ. Our website is SwornPodcast.com, and you can check out other Tenderfoot TV podcasts at www.tenderfoot.tv If you have questions or comments, you can email us at sworn at tenderfoot.tv or leave us a voicemail at 404-410-0441 As always, thanks for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.